Welcome to Modern Anarchy, the podcast featuring real conversations with conscious objectors to the status quo. I'm your host, Nicole. On today's episode, we have Ashley Manta. She is an award-winning sex and relationship coach. She is trauma-informed, combining sex and cannabis, and the author of The CBD Solution. She is a plethora of just amazing information that she brought onto the show, and I am so thankful to have had her. I think everyone is really going to love this episode, so tune in. Hi. Hi. It's so great to have you on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, it's awesome to have you on the show. I've told all my friends about you when I first started following you on Instagram. So this is like such a big honor for me. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's yeah. amazing. Thank you so much. I appreciate you following me and, and sharing the, yeah. the word with your friends. That means a lot. <laughs> yeah, I believe in the message. <laughs> Thank you. All right. So do you want to start with just how you got into this work, the whole background story and what can a sexual means for you? Absolutely. So I have been a sex educator for 14 years now. I got my start while I was still in college and it did not start out looking anything like this. Mm. I was doing sexual violence prevention education. I became a rape crisis counselor and a domestic violence crisis counselor. I was going out to um, high schools and colleges and talking about consent and bystander intervention and sexual assault awareness. Mm. I also did a lot early on with K through 12, where I would go out to elementary schools and middle schools and talk about stranger danger and your body is yours and those kinds of things. And that was really, really powerful work. I loved that work. It, it really became the foundation of how I teach, getting comfortable, giving presentations mm-hmm. in public, you know, all of those kinds of things. Um, and I eventually became a victim advocate at mm-hmm. the Philadelphia District Attorney's Office. And I was going to court four or five days a week and I had 20 cases a day and I would sit with victims and be with them during their preliminary hearings. I would walk them through the process. I would help them file for protection from abuse orders. I would let them know about victims compensation. Um, I would help them get resources for counseling and things like that. And I loved that work. I loved the impact that I was able to make as a result of it. And it was such fucking heavy burnout work. <laughs> like, yes. Yes. I was actually, rough. Yeah, definitely. I actually volunteer with an organization in my city doing something very similar. So I actually go to the ER and do one-on-one crisis counseling sort of work. Yes. But you're doing the other side of it, the advocate work, which is equally just so much to carry. It's so much. And I've actually done the ER work also. Oh, I would go and yes. sit with clients for um, forensic rape exams and I would go to the police station with them. Like we did the whole process. Um, and then when I worked as a mental health crisis counselor, I would go to the ER when people were having mental health breakdowns and have to place them in um, psychiatric facilities and things like that. So I got that like direct service part of the work for the first like four years of my career. And as someone who both has mental health stuff and who is a sexual trauma survivor of multiple things, it was just flashback city. I would go home and I would have nightmares and I couldn't sleep and I was Mm. anxious all the time and I couldn't focus. And I realized that this was just not a sustainable 
career focus for me. But it was really important to me to be able to empower people and help them feel worthy and and embodied and to heal and and to have tools along their healing journey. And so I switched my focus to pleasure. And that that was the golden ticket. I started, you know, teaching about blowjobs and sex toys and lube and, you know, the more fun stuff, Mm -hmm. Uh, but always with a really heavy sprinkle of consent and boundaries and respecting your partner's autonomy and, and being uh, sensitive to your partner if they have trauma and how to be like a really supportive person of someone who's been, who's experienced sexual violence. And that coupled with moving to California in 2013, where I actually had access to medical cannabis for the first time, that was kind of the light bulb moment for me because I recognized how profoundly cannabis impacted my own healing journey Mm -hmm. and how helpful it was to have that as a part of my toolkit, especially being someone who experienced pain with penetration from Mm -hmm. the time that I was 13 until my late twenties. And then when I found this infused THC oil that I put on my pussy and suddenly I could have penetrative sex without pain, like my brain exploded. Of course. And I was like, oh my God, I don't know any sex educators who are talking about sex and cannabis, certainly not through like a body positive, queer inclusive, trauma informed lens. Yes. And panasexual was born. (laughs) Welcome. We needed you for a long time. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. Okay. All of those things that resonate with so many levels. I've actually, similarly to you, kind of taken that same perspective where now I'm studying sex and pleasure, right? From a clinical psychology standpoint, after seeing uh, similarly the burnout that can really happen from just focusing on the trauma. So much. Yeah. Wow. So thank you for your work. This oh, yeah. really important. Thank you. <laughs> So tell me, canisexual, what is there a definition? Did you make a manifesto? What is it? <laughs> so back in around 2014, when it crystallized in my brain that I wanted to do this, I was like, I need to call it something. What can I call it? And I actually pulled Facebook because I was spending a lot of time on Facebook back then. And I was like, do we like can of bliss, can of gasms, can of sexual? And everybody's like, oh, yeah, 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 can of sexual. And I was yes. like, okay. What I didn't foresee is that people would assume that it was some kind of sexual orientation. <laughs> like yes. that's not what I was going for, but I mean, whatever, if, if you want to make it your own, that's fine. But my intention was that canisexual was more of a modality, mm. a method, a philosophy where, where you are mindfully and deliberately combining sex and cannabis to deepen intimacy and enhance pleasure, whether you're solo or partnered. And that last mm-hmm. part is the most important thing because as a student of Betty Dodson and someone who believes strongly in masturbation, I believe that our relationship with sexuality starts with ourselves and you have to know what you like. You have to spend time getting to know your body and what works for you and what doesn't so that you can communicate that information to your partners. Because although it would be so convenient if they were mind readers, they are not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a big lesson to learn. I think in unlocking someone's sexuality is the ability to communicate what you want. And you use the word mindful. So how do you do this in a mindful way? What does that mean for you? It means being thoughtful about the products that you're using. You don't just pick up a random joint that you found on the floor. You choose products with an intention in mind of what do I want this to do for me? How do I want to feel? 
Mm. You know, this isn't, you can use cannabis to numb. You can use anything to numb. You can use food, you can use alcohol, whatever. If you're using it mindlessly, it'll numb you out and it just becomes an unconscious habit that you're just doing to do. With cannabis, I believe in making it more of a ritual, Mm. something that you are very intentionally adding to enhance whatever's going on or to address things that are getting in the way. You know, you wouldn't just like take ibuprofen to take ibuprofen. Like you do it because you have a headache. Exactly. Right. (laughs) I think cannabis could be treated the same way. Definitely. Okay. So how do you do that? I think it's very interesting that there's not really a space where they talk about how do you do this? So is it maybe, you know, you get a strain or you get something and then you practice at home and there's no expectations or like, what would you recommend so that people can create this ritual? Just exactly. So it all comes back to masturbation. Mm. People are like, what's the best strain for sect? What's the best product that you should use? Blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, well, first of all, I'm not you. So I have no idea what's going to work for you, (laughs) but I can tell you how to figure out what works for you. And what that looks like is getting a little bit of whatever you want to try and understanding that there are different methods of consumption. There's inhalation, there's ingestion, there's topicals, and each one has kind of pros and cons based on what you're going for. And the, you have to kind of put on your adventure hat and, Mm -hmm. and give it a try. Do just a little bit. It's not about getting stoned. It's not about like going balls to the wall. Just, just a little, Mm -hmm. see how it feels. Notice masturbate, see how that feels, notice, pay attention to your body sensations. And then here's the key. You've got to write it down Mm. because if you're like me, I can't remember what I ate for lunch yesterday. Yes. (laughs) And cannabis just makes it worse because it's terrible for your short-term memory. So Mm -hmm. like, you're going to forget, trust me, I forget all the goddamn time. So So you're really going to want to write down, this is what I used. This is roughly like how long it took to set in or how much, um, how much time from like the time I I took it to the time that I started to feel the effects. These are the effects that I noticed. This is what it helped with. This is actually what it didn't help with. I kind of found myself wanting to watch Netflix. That's a good thing to know about a product. I really love this. This is almost creating, you know, a personal science, not just doing this lackadaisical, but, you know, coming in and taking a lot of notes and being very introspective about, you know, where this strain or whatever form you took it in affects you. Yes. Yeah. Which is not talked about, you know, no one ever talks about, yeah, take the time. It's okay. And not only okay, but important to do these things. There's such a stigma, I think, with drugs and using them to unlock this, you know, sexuality in us. There is so much stigma and there's a lot of shame and, and especially there's shame around any kind of, of mind altering substances and there's shame around sex. So you've got like compounded yes. issues where maybe you have baggage about masturbation because you grew up in a really religious household, or maybe you like really struggle with your body sometimes. And, and you have fear around looking at yourself in the mirror naked or, or looking even just, you know, if you happen to have a pussy, like looking at your pussy in a mirror. Yeah. Oh my God. Yes, exactly. (laughs) And so the thought of like really taking your time with it rather than just like kind of squeaking one out halfway through the day to get through to your next meeting, that can feel very confronting. Yes, definitely. I think it's so important that we don't just leave masturbation until the end of the day. You're laying in bed, last thing you do, like setting aside a time to actually invest in yourself when you have the energy and the desire to do so rather than waiting and, you know, pushing it off. Exactly. 
because, you know, how many people have I heard say, oh my God, my partner, like right before bed, they just like, they're suddenly horny. They want to just jump on top of me and thrust around for like a minute. And then they come and then they roll off and go to bed. Mm -hmm. Isn't that what we do to ourselves every time we do a quickie masturbation session right before we go to sleep? Yes. And who more could love us than ourselves? Why can't we start there? Because if you're spending... 30 minutes, 60 minutes masturbating, making it this beautiful, sacred experience where you've got lighting and music Mm -hmm. and incense and like putting on something sexy. I guarantee that your standards will be higher when you get to partnered sex. Yes. I love that so much. (laughs) Let's start with us and then raise our standards to everywhere else. Yes. Be the change you want to see in the bedroom. Wow. I love that. Did you make that up? I did not. That is a sex educator quote. (laughs) That's great. I really vibe with that. Okay. You're so confident. Have you, I mean, have you always been this confident about your body and your sexuality? (laughs) No, not even a little. I was bullied. I still, even to this day, struggle with my body a lot of the time. Like sometimes I'll be like, I'll catch myself on social media being like, maybe I should get a nose job. Maybe I should get Mm -hmm. lipo. Maybe I should get blah, 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 blah. Like I wish that my body didn't look like this or did something different, or I don't like this or that about myself. That happens all the time. I don't know a single person who is really like genuinely confident all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, even somebody who is as iconic as like Lizzo, Mm -hmm. I'm sure that sometimes she even struggles with, with body confidence sometimes. And so Mm -hmm. I find that doing the work for me helps. And what that looks like is I go to therapy a lot. I cannot overemphasize the value of therapy and diving into the shit that, that has been holding you back from being able to have like a loving relationship with yourself and your body. Mm -hmm. I am impossibly hard on myself. I engage in negative self-talk and sometimes my boyfriend will call me out. He'll be like, Hey, like, don't talk about my girlfriend like that. I love (laughs) that. And I'm like, shit, you're right. And you know, I wouldn't say that to someone I hated much less to someone that I'm supposed to like care about mm-hmm. and yet we do it. And so going to therapy helps to kind of break down. Why do I think that it's okay to treat myself this way? Why do I think that my body has to look a certain way to be worthy? I just had my friend Bevan on my podcast last week mm-hmm. and she talks about how like babies when they're born are so excited when they discover their feet. Yeah. It's the coolest thing. And like, they weren't born hating their bodies. We no. taught them to hate their bodies. Mm-hmm. I mean, capitalism has a whole industry Ooh, yeah. built on us hating our bodies. So of course we're right. fighting years and years of societal messages. Totally. Emily Nagoski calls it the uh, bikini industrial complex. Ooh, yes. It's yes. like, yes, that's, that's the one. <laughs> has to be wax, has to be perfect. Oh, all God. of it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love that you're talking about therapy. That is so great. And I think, you know, our brain is a muscle, right? Thinking about it in that way, where the more that we practice this mindfulness of dampening that negative self-talk, the more it gets natural to do that on our own. Absolutely. Because no amount of your partner telling you that you're beautiful or sexy or attractive, that will never penetrate into the recesses of your mind. It has to come from you Mm -hmm. because you will always come up with a reason why they're wrong or that you can't quite believe them or, well, okay, I know that you're saying this now, but like, if I put on five pounds, you're definitely not going to believe that then. Like the validation cannot come from outside of you. I know. Don't you love our brains? They're so wonderful. (laughs) So, okay. I have to ask, bringing up sex and cannabis in therapy, how did that feel? Were you nervous to tell your therapist that this is what you do? (laughs) 
No, interestingly, of all the things in life that I am actually wildly confident about what I do for a living, I'm just like, look, if you're not into it, like fuck directly off. That's cool. I'm not for you. Great. There's lots of maybe 30,000 people that follow me on TikTok. They think I'm pretty cool. So like, also I think I'm cool and Mm -hmm. I think what I do is cool. So that's really all that matters. Um, it's actually for me, a really good litmus test for a provider. If I tell you that I'm non-monogamous and I'm queer and I use cannabis and I use psychedelics and you like, probably not going to be a good fit. Thank you so much for saving me six weeks of therapy. Like Mm -hmm. I'm going to go find somebody who like vibes with me. Right. Right. And I mean, yeah, it's so important to find a clinician that's not going to judge you for whatever you're doing. I know there's always this like stigma, though, of talking about drugs in a space, especially um, depending if you're in a state where cannabis might be illegal. Right. Yeah. I mean, the good news is and then the thing that I would suggest that people keep in mind is like you have confidentiality on your side. If you're seeing a therapist, especially you've got HIPAA and unless mm-hmm. you're going to hurt yourself or someone else, like they are bound to keep all of your secrets. <laughs> so exactly. You exactly. Really, like that's the safest person to tell about your drug use mm-hmm. and they need to know that's the other piece. Like if they're going to help yes. you, they need to have a full picture of what's going on in your life. Mm-hmm. Because if you're like, Oh man, I woke up this morning and I like, I felt like complete shit. And they don't know that you drank 10 beers the night before. Like they might assign that to something else. Exactly. Right. That's a good piece that having that open discussion about really what you're doing, there's such a lack of judgment in that space. And this is the space to talk about it. Definitely. Yeah. So then kind of messages did you get from society growing up about sex? (laughs) I know. I love this question. (laughs) Oh, that's a great question. Um, So I grew up in a very rural conservative part of Pennsylvania and we got minimal sex education. The girls mm-hmm. and the guys were split apart in fifth grade and they gave us deodorant and razors and told us about periods. Um, I think they did actually talk to the guys about masturbation, but like they definitely didn't talk to us about it. And then mm-hmm. by the time we got to like middle school, it was, um, you know, just say no and about drugs, but also like if someone's harassing you, just like say no, they're a red light person. Like it was just such mm-hmm. bullshit. And then high school was, the kids from the local Christian college coming and saying, you're worth waiting for. And unfortunately, by that point, I was 15. I was sexually assaulted two years before. So Mm. I was no longer, you know, a quote unquote virgin, uh, which I have issues with. Like, I don't believe virginity is a thing. I think that's a complete societal way of controlling women's bodies. But like, that's for another conversation. Mm -hmm. But like two years later, I'm worth waiting for. Well, okay, that that. So now I'm dirty. I'm wrong. I'm bad. I'm broken. I'm, I'm less than because I'm not pure and waiting Mm. for marriage. Like I'm supposed to like, Oh God, abstinence messaging was just so problematic. So what was your relationship with yourself sexually at that time and with others? Um, so I started masturbating really early. Mm -hmm. I was always just like a sexual kid who knows why. And it's not because I lived in a particularly like sex positive household because they were Catholic and Mm. and my mom was always pretty pro masturbation, but that wasn't until I was like 12 and I definitely started masturbating when I was like five. So, so who knows? Um, By the time my sexual assault happened when I was 13, because I was a good Catholic girl and I really had intended to wait for marriage. Mm. The point at which that was taken away from me was a point that I was like, well, fuck if I'm, I can't wait for marriage anymore. So mm. I guess I'm going to get like really good at sex. Like that, mm. that seems like a, a solid, you know, choice to make. And my 13 year old wisdom, 
And so I did, I started, I pretty much had sex with anyone who gave me attention. Mm. Um, I was not careful. I was not using condoms. I was not setting boundaries. Mm. I was using that as a way to like validate my worthiness as a human. It was super, super unhealthy. Mm. And that lasted well into my early twenties before Mm. I really started like getting some momentum in therapy and realizing like, oh, this is going to get like bad. It could have been bad already, but it's going to keep getting worse. And I want to have amazing sex. I want to have empowered sex. I want to have sex on my terms for the reasons that feel good for me and not just because I need it to like justify my existence. Mm. Yeah, no, that's very powerful. I mean, the question is how do we get other people to that space that maybe don't have the money to go to therapy? What kind of resources do we give to people to kind of help them see this as well? It's a hard question because, you know, there are certainly like rape crisis hotlines and things that are free. Mm-hmm. But they're really dealing with more acute stuff. Like they're not necessarily going to see you every week for weeks on end. And and even for me, the talk therapy that I did was helpful and, and it, it was useful and it helped me understand myself better. But the thing that really changed the game for me, I only started last summer and I'm almost 35 and it was somatic experiencing therapy where I finally reconnected my brain with my body. Wow and realized how much of that was missing. You know, the brain is a huge part of trauma and like that makes a difference, but like being able to feel sensations in your body, being able to, to trust your, your gut and to say, Ooh, this doesn't feel right. I'm going to say something Mm -hmm. instead of, you know, people who are trauma survivors, often we have to shut down those impulses because it wasn't safe to set down. Yes. We've deadened our connection to our bodies and just kind of turned into like, robots. (laughs) robots. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so how can we possibly expect to feel pleasure or feel empowered when like we barely forget that we have, we mostly forget that we have hands. Exactly. Exactly. Like, I mean, that's a huge shift then. If you've been a sex educator for, you said 14 years, mm-hmm. a year ago, you do somatic therapy and have this whole different experience. Maybe for any listeners who don't know what that looks like, could you explain what it was like for you? Absolutely. Um, so I'm still seeing my therapist every other week. She's great. And it started because I was having panic attacks and I knew Mm. that like just talking through them was not helping. And so I went to see her and she actually did hands-on work even during COVID because that was my big concern. I'm like, who the fuck am I going to see to do hands-on work in the middle of like quarantine living in California? But she was doing as long as I was masked, she was masked. She took my temperature before I walked in. Like it was as safe as it could possibly be. Mm. And we would sit and it was a lot of work on boundaries where she was like, how close do you want me to sit to you? Do you want me over here or over here? Do you want me, you know, farther away? Do you want me to make eye contact or not? It was like so much choice. It was like choice boot camp, And it was kind of overwhelming at first. Cause I'm like, I don't, I don't know. Yes. I, I don't, like, yes. that's, that's fine. Whatever you want. And she's like, no, no, no. Whatever you want. Mm-hmm. You, you are the one that gets to say what happens in this space. You are the one whose comfort matters more than anyone else's. And so I don't want you to accommodate me. I don't want you to endure things. I don't want you to try to like anticipate my needs. Fuck all of that shit. I am here for you. Mm. And I was like, what? Yes. (laughs) It was mind blowing. She also did like table work where I would get on the table and she would help like, oh, you know, your psoas muscles really tight. Like, let me just kind of manipulate that a little bit. Does anything come up for you? Like, are there memories? Mm. Are there, you know, we tend to hold trauma in this part of the body. Does that resonate with you? And that kind of stuff. Wow. I mean, I'm sure you've read The Body Keeps the Score. 
Yes. Okay. Great plug for a wonderful book. If anyone wants to learn more about what Ashley is talking about, where we might be holding tension in our bodies. But yes, what you're saying is so spot on. You know, you get this opportunity. It's such a beautiful thing to be asked what you're what you want. And yet it's equally so overwhelming. It's almost, I mean, for me personally, it's kind of scary, right? No one's ever asked me so many questions. It's never been something that I've had so much autonomy over. Yeah. And and it has made me a better lover. Mm -hmm. It's made me a better friend. It's made me a better educator, but especially like with my boyfriend, we've been seeing each other for six years. That was actually the thing that started kind of my healing journey because I'd never had really great sex before with someone who was deeply invested in my pleasure and not just their own. Mm -hmm. But with him, since I've started somatic therapy, I'm checking in a lot. Is it okay if my hand's here? Do you like it better if I do this or this? And like, I knew that cognitively and Mm -hmm. I had been teaching that prior to starting somatic therapy, but like somatic therapy allowed me to see how much more I could do with that than just basic, like, do you like this or this, or is this okay? Or do you want something different? It would be like checking in. Is it okay if I'm sitting here? Do you want me sitting farther away from you? Mm. You know, what's on the menu for night for tonight? What would your body really enjoy doing? And and what can we co-create together? That has made such a difference. And even just like where I volunteer, I work with kids with disabilities and they, they ride horses Mm. before I touch them to hold them on the horse, which is something that you have to do. I say, hey, is it okay if I put my arm on your thigh? Mm-hmm. This is going to hold you on the horse. Is that okay? And they get to say yes because consent and bodily autonomy and having adults respect your space, starting from like a small child, is so important. Yes, my body, my choice. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. And I think what you're talking about is incorporating that level of consent into our everyday is very important. I think society as a whole does not do that. Um, On my side, I also teach yoga. And so there's, yeah, there's some uh, research out there about trauma-informed yoga practices and really incorporating the language is such a big piece of that, right? So when you're teaching, you might say instead of, oh, we're going here, when you're ready, come into this pose. If you would like come into this pose and really just inviting people to do that check-in with their body. Is this what I want today? Is this going to be beneficial for me, which is frequently not talked about in society? Absolutely. And the yoga community, I have to say, has really been very cool and thoughtful about that. Um, I remember 10 years ago, one of my friends starting to do trauma-informed yoga and like she would have a stone that she would put on the edge of everyone's mat. Mm-hmm. And if you wanted physical adjustments, you kept the stone on your mat. And if you didn't, you just slid it under your mat. And that mm-hmm. was like a very clear, yes, I want hands-on adjustments. No, I don't. And if they didn't, cool, no worries. Yeah. And it, But that first time you get asked that, it's like, what? I, I have to make a decision right now? Yeah, it's very yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Even though it's such a beautiful thing, I think it's good to normalize that, you know, good things can feel scary as well and learning For to sure. get used to that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well then drug messages, <laughs> tell me about <laughs> it. What, what I know I'm sure dare, uh, dare. but I was totally a child of dare culture. Mm. Yep. I was taught that, um, drugs are bad. Cannabis Mm -hmm. is as bad as heroin and Mm -hmm. anyone who does drugs is bad. Mm -hmm. And also kind of coming out of the sexual violence prevention world, that's a pretty hard line community around substances and sex broadly. Can we talk about that? Yeah. I can't tell you how many colleges I went to and I stand by this statistic and I'd say the number one date rape drug is alcohol. It's used in 90 
plus percent of sexual assault cases on campus. Mm -hmm. So like mixing substances and sex is generally not a good idea. And so I'm like, how do I square that with sex and cannabis? And what I came to was my golden rule of sex and cannabis, which is negotiate before you medicate. Mm. Have conversations about consent boundaries, what's on the table, what you're going for. You know, I'm going to smoke a little bit of this and this is what I'm hoping is going to happen. But if it looks like this or that, that probably means I'm not having a good time. So Mm -hmm. I want you to check in with me. I want you to roll me up like a sushi burrito. I want you to bring me some water. I I want you to leave me the fuck alone, you know, whatever it is. And, And checking in frequently to make sure that you have ongoing consent. If somebody's staring off into space and not responding, stop having sex with them. Yes, definitely. I love the sushi burrito image. I'm just, I already feel snuggled. Uh, that's beautiful. Especially when you start with what we talked about earlier, right? The mindfulness, you know, you yes. practice this independently and learned, you know, a little bit of what you can expect. Granted, there'll be, you know, changes to the day to day, but for the mm-hmm. most part, you kind of know, which really helps come into the space with even more to talk about in the negotiation. You know, I tend to get like this or like that with this. And you just know more rather than it being this black box of unknowns. Absolutely. And I really try to normalize emotion during sex. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes we're going to do something or you're going to say something, you're going to touch something and I'm going to have a big emotional reaction. And that doesn't mean that anything's wrong mm. in with me, but like I have had so many crygasms at this mm. point that were so powerful and healing and, and like my whole body's shaking. I got into Tantra when my boyfriend and I started dating and, and that's me. been like, oh my God, energetics oh my God. and, and moving, <laughs> through the chakras and, and like connecting on not just a physiological level, but like a kind of spiritual level and, and how much emotion that can start moving and cycling mm-hmm. through. And that there's always the other side. Like sometimes early on in my, my sexual journeys, I would hold back. If I would have like a strong emotional reaction to something, I would just mm-hmm. dissociate or I would just like choke it back. Cause like, I don't want to make you feel uncomfortable that I'm crying during mm-hmm. sex. Like, Oh, how embarrassing. And now I have a partner who is so not like excited that I cry, but like, it's like, yes, bring it on. I'm not scared. Like I want all of you. I love all of you. All of you is welcome here. And that gives me permission to like, let it all out, get snotty, get, get Mm -hmm. gross. You know, we're not talking Disney princess tears here. We're talking like ugly (laughs) cry. And, And he's like, cool. No worries. Can I get you a tissue? Also like, it always passes. So mm. I get the, <laughs> yes. and I breathe. Then I feel more connected to him and more turned on and mm. in my body. And then we like go on to have crazy, awesome sex. Yes. I mean, when you stop dissociating your mind, you can better connect to your body. You can better be okay. present in your body and all the feelings that you're having. Right. Exactly. And then with your partner, you're able to bring your true self. Yes. Which makes the sex so much better. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a book called Magnificent Sex by Dr. Mm-hmm. Peggy Klein Plotz, which if you have not read, I think you will just go crazy over. It's so good. And it talks about the things that make sex extraordinary. Mm. And it's not orgasm and it's not position and it's not skills. It is presence and vulnerability and surrender and empathetic communication and, and you know, risk-taking, calculated risk-taking and... <laughs> And transformation and transcendence, those are the things that make sex extraordinary. And that's not something you do if you're just like kind of phoning it in and like thinking about your to-do list. 
while mm-hmm. you're having sex. You want to have the kind of sex where the whole world disappears and it's just you and I, and I can't even tell where you stop and I begin. Right. Which is never talked about ever. And then it's, you know, some people struggle to be, you know, turned on or have that desire. And we're not talking about this whole level of the emotional self that we're bringing and the authentic self. And so if we don't talk about that, yeah, it's going to be hard when you have all these thoughts going on to get into that space. And like one of the things I love that Peggy Kleinplatz says is she says that a lot of what we code as low desire is actually like discernment because the Mm. sex that they're being offered is low quality. Yes. Why would I want sex that sucks? <laughs> yes. <laughs> right? We don't talk about that either. Like mm-hmm. I've got partners coming to me for coaching being like, oh, like he, let's just use a heteronormative example. He <laughs> wants to have sex all the time and she doesn't. And I'm like, okay, tell me about the sex you don't want to be having. Mm-hmm. She's like, well, you know, he gets on top of me and he kind of thrusts around for a few minutes and then he comes and then he rolls off me. And I'm like, well, fuck, I love sex and I wouldn't want to have that kind of sex either. Nope. How about we focus on your pleasure a little bit? That'd be Mm, cool. Exactly. Yeah. Changing that focus. And I think even the next step would be then how do we bring that presence into our masturbation? Yes, exactly. And I think that's almost harder. There's some level of, you know, you're with another partner. It's great. We're sharing this energy. And at least I feel like it's easier to accept that level of presence than hey, I am going to have sex with myself tonight and I'm going to connect with myself so deeply that I'm going to set aside this mental space. Yes. And I think that's so hard to get into that space. I mean, there's so much stigma around masturbation that is not talked about that I think it makes it so much harder to hop into that space of honoring yourself and thinking you're worthy enough to do this. Yes, exactly. Yeah. All right. You talked a little bit earlier on about penetrative sex being very painful for you. I'd love to talk about that. I have a lot of people who have vulvas that talk about that experience. And there's so many questions of, oh, is something wrong with me? Do I have this? Do I have that? Like, I would just love to hear your journey with that. That's huge. Absolutely. Um, Thank you for asking. That's a part of my story that I think is one of the most important parts that I want to get out is is Mm. this whole idea of pain with penetration that sex shouldn't hurt. Unless you want it to, if you're kinky, that's cool. It's a whole different thing. But if if you don't want it to, it shouldn't hurt. And so the first thing I would say is I'm not a doctor. I don't play one on TV. So if you are experiencing pain, by all means, go get checked out and make sure that it's mm-hmm. not some kind of acute issue, whether it's an infection or a sore or a, a cyst or, or whatever, like mm-hmm. make sure that there's not something physically going on that's causing that. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's something like pelvic floor tension, there are pelvic floor therapists that can help you out with that. But if it's something like for me, where it was vaginismus from my trauma, where mm. my brain in anticipation of penetration would clamp down automatically and, and flex all my pelvic floor muscles and squeeze real hard. And that's what was causing for the first few minutes of sex, this like sharp pain. Mm. That is something that therapy again, will be helpful for if you're, if you're doing your trauma work, but also sometimes just having something that you can just apply to the area not numbing creams. God, my, I had a doctor be like, well, just put some lidocaine on your, your pussy. I'm like, how about no? Was he a male? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> was a man. Um, I'm like, you know, funny story. I actually want to feel the sex that I'm having. Yeah. Crazy Here. thought. <laughs> um, but the thing with the THC and CBD infused oils that I found is that they really do help decrease discomfort mm. by bringing more blood flow to the area 
And so that helps the tissue be more, you know, engorged with blood. And so it's, it's going to be heightened sensation and, and more supple and, and kind of just juicier and yummier and also decreases discomfort. Um, mm. Cannabinoids work with our body's endocannabinoid system. And there are these receptors all over our bodies, CB1 and CB2 receptors, and they modulate pain response. That's why cannabis is such a powerful pain reliever. Mm-hmm. And so it works on your pussy too. And so if you take a little bit and apply it, mm. yes, I have a pussy puppet that I'm holding up right now, since y'all can't see me, um, you have to treat it like a marinade. This is not like lube where you just put it on and go. Lube is great for decreasing friction. I use lube anyway all the time because subjective arousal and and wetness only correlate less than 10% of the time, which is pretty much statistically insignificant. So all the people who are like, I'm really turned on, but I'm not wet. I'm broken. You're not broken. Yes. Oh my God, you're not broken. Just use lube for Christ's sake. Yes, <laughs> we shout that from the mountain. You're not broken. I literally had a video on TikTok go viral. It has 1.3 <sighs> million views right now. And I have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of comments from people being like, I thought there was something wrong with me. I thought I was broken. <sighs> I had no idea. I had to show this to my partner because they wouldn't believe me. Oh my God. Which like, let's talk about gaslighting, but Jesus. Yes. But to go back to the, the marinade mm-hmm. for a second, use lube, but, but cannabis oil is not the same as lube. It is something that needs to take about 15 to 20 minutes to absorb into the tissue so that those cannabinoids have time to get with the receptors and do the thing. Mm-hmm. And so you apply that, you let it sit you can do other things while it's marinating. You can make mm-hmm. out, you can explore each other's bodies with your hands. You can mm-hmm. do a little dirty talk. You can kind of, you know, maybe do a sexy dance, whatever feels good for you. I'm not here to judge. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you just have to keep in mind that anything that you're putting on your pussy that has oil in it is not compatible with latex or polyisoprene condoms. They will break. Mm-hmm. You're going to want to use nitrile or polyurethane that is compatible with oil. Totally fine. I've been using nitrile condoms forever. And I like dump oil on it and it's totally good, but latex yes. will, will rupture and, and it'll dissolve and disintegrate. So. That's a really good piece of advice. Yeah. Oil and latex, not friends. Okay. So for all the people that might not smoke weed or ingest it, when they put that sort of marinade, is that going to affect them mentally or is it more Thank localized? Thank you for asking. It is localized. That's okay. the best thing about it. It's one of the reasons that I recommend that to people as kind of an entry level. You're curious about sex and cannabis. Mm-hmm. That's the place to start. That and suppositories are also great. They're these little kind of uh, cylindrical bullet shaped, mm-hmm. also made out of oil. Um, I tend to keep them in the freezer for easier insertion. And you pop those vi- either vaginally or anally. What? Vaginally <laughs> is great um, for a couple of things. If you have endometriosis or really bad period cramps, it's really fantastic for, for pain relief. It's also great if you have a partner, um, if you're being penetrated by a phallus mm-hmm. of any sort, whether it's factory installed or a toy um, that is longer than you are deep and bottoms mm. out and smacks your cervix really helps with that pain also. Wow. So good. Can't even tell you. Okay. I mean, I'm in a state that's legal, but where do you get these things? What state are you in? I'm in Illinois. Okay. I don't know what the like situation in Illinois is, if there are dispensaries kind of everywhere, or if, if suppositories have become a thing on the scene, but you mm-hmm. can make them at home. Ooh, tell me more. There's actually a recipe in my book, uh, which is called <sighs> the CBD Solution Sex. 
Mm-hmm. And you can make oil at home. You just grind up some flour, pop it in the oven at 200 degrees for 30 minutes, shake it around, put it in the, for another 30 minutes, then put it into say eight ounces, which is like a cup of oil, put it into either, um, a, a pressure cooker or into a, um, a slow cooker, like a okay. Dutch oven kind of situation. Mm-hmm. And let that infuse for eh, four to five hours, roughly pour it out through some cheesecloth. Cause you don't want all those little bits of plant matter in mm. all up in your business. Smart. Right. Um, and then you can either apply it just like that as in oil form, or, um, if you want to make suppositories, I would use coconut oil that is solid at room temperature. Mm, if you um, use MCT oil, it will never get solid, which is great for if you're just using it as oil. But if you want it to freeze, yeah. use the kind that gets solid at room temperature. And then you just get suppository molds from Amazon and a little pipette. And you're sitting there like a goddamn scientist <laughs> filling these things up, yes. throw it in the freezer. And now wow. you have DIY suppositories. Wow. I love this. And I love how open you're talking about it. I, full transparency, right? Just a suppository just kind of makes me cringe a little, but like, I get it. And do you feel like that is, and I'm sure the answer is yes, but different than just ingesting or smoking weed? Yes. Okay. Um, I find that smoking helps with cramps mm-hmm. a reasonable amount. Edibles help with cramps a reasonable amount. This fixes cramps. Wow. in my experience, like it takes it from an eight down to a two or a zero. Wow. And, you know, all of my friends that have endometriosis, which unfortunately is a lot mm. where by, by suppositories. And, you know, as someone who spent most of my life hating anal mm-hmm. and being like, hell no, mm. <laughs> I have a workshop that's called, um, from anal avoidant to butt slut. <laughs> Yes. I love that. I was so like, fuck this. I I love prostate stimulation. I'm happy to give Mm -hmm. not into receiving. And then Mm -hmm. suppositories, it turns out reduce discomfort, help your muscles feel more like supple and relaxed without numbing. Cause you'd never want to numb the ass. You don't want to numb your genitals generally, Mm -hmm. but you absolutely do not want to numb your ass. Like Mm -hmm. somebody commented on one of my videos this morning. They were like, well, Spencer sells numbing cream. If you ever need to use that, I'm like, no, 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 no pain exists for a reason. Y'all like that is your body telling you that something is wrong. Exactly. Let's not disconnect further. We don't need that. (laughs) We do not need that. So that helped me learn how to really love anal. And I'm like, oh, okay. And pacing and communication and breathing mm-hmm. and tons and tons of lube, like get mm-hmm. all Exxon Valdez up in there. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Can we just normalize lube, please? please? Yes. Lube. Like if you are having sex, you should be using lube. Mm-hmm. Across the board. I don't care what kind of sex you're having, hand sex, blowjobs, oral, anal, vaginal, it doesn't matter. If you're having sex, use lube. Mm-hmm. Amen. That will be my hill to die on. Just normal lube yes. in one day. Because I think a lot of what we talked about earlier of that is something wrong with me because I'm not getting wet enough. Do I have a problem? I'm too young to have a problem, right? Like it's just, oh, God, yeah. and then all those thoughts are going through your head while you're trying to be present. Yes. Oh, and it's so hard. And then, yeah, talk about connecting with your body when my head's up here and mm-hmm. I start feeling pain because I'm clenching. And now how do you connect with all of that? Now it's just all over the place. It's a lot of unlearning of all these various societal messages, all our internal self-talk. Like it's just so much to unpack here. 
Exactly. There's so much and so much that we just don't know about our bodies. Like people mm-hmm. with vulvas that are listening, did you know that your clit has legs? Yes. I can't even tell you how many people I say that to. And they're like, what are you talking about? Mm. And, and not knowing that the equivalent of that would be like, if you only focused on the head of the penis and completely ignored the whole rest of it. Right. That is what you're doing. If you're only focusing on that little button that you see at the top Mm -hmm. and not realizing that the clit and the penis are anatomically the same. So how is it that ours is just so much smaller than theirs is? Well, it's because it's most of ours is internal. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So for the person who had no idea, if you have a vulva, it has legs um, in your clitoris. Um, How do you pleasure the legs? That's such a great question. I'm Mm -hmm. glad you asked. Um, So first of all, you start with pleasuring the shaft. So you Mm -hmm. start with the button, you go up a couple centimeters, and then you just kind of go back and forth and you can strum it like a guitar string. Mm. And so if you're someone who finds that direct clitoral stimulation on the head is way too intense, which I'm that person, I can't do it. I got to go above. Start with that. And then you'll start to feel the part at which it stops and and it kind of, it goes straight back and then it splits down into two. And so you find the top and then you just kind of basically palpate with your fingers Mm. and feel down the sides of the legs. It goes down between your inner and outer labia. And then there's these two bulbs that hug your vaginal opening called the vestibular bulbs. The whole thing gets erect just mm. like a penis. Penises and clits, they're the same. So if penises get erections, clits get erections. If clit, if vulvas get wet, penises get wet. Mm-hmm. That's what pre-cum is. Like it's, but not every single penis that you see has pre-cum, right? Mm. Not all the time. Not certainly as much as you would need to completely lubricate a sexual experience. Mm-hmm. And yet why are we expecting pussies to like drip fluids? Oh, because we've been told and <laughs> Because porn. we've been told the wrong shit. That's what we have to do. Oh uh, Yeah, I know. And for anyone listening, you know, the genitals form from the same cells, you know, we're born or we're forming. And at that point, they're the same thing. Mm -hmm. Yes, I know. I know. If you have not read Come As You Are by Dr. Emily Nagoski, if you have a vulva or think you might play with one someday, please, for the love of God, read this book, especially read the newly released version that just came out at the beginning of March. Mm-hmm. It includes all of Dr. Peggy Kleinplatz's new research that's in Magnificent Sex mm-hmm. and completely reframes desire, blows yes. the idea of sex drive completely out of the water. It's, it's a must read. If, if you're listening to this Please, if you take nothing else from it, don't even fucking buy my book. Buy her book. Like, I love that. I mean, yeah, literally last night I was sitting in a bath reading that book, going, hmm, the brakes, the accelerators. Yeah. Oh my God, the dual control model was a game changer for me. Yes. And I had never heard of that. And I think that's so big for people. I mean, yeah, we'll we'll plug that book left and right, that that is an important oh. place. And it's it's all grounded in science, which I really yeah. love that. Yes. I've been obsessed with Emily Nagoski since I actually got to work with her when I was in college. She was the assistant director of the Women's Center when I was at Westchester in 2008. Wow. And I started following her and reading her blog and like to see her blow up the way she has is the coolest fucking thing because she was brilliant back then. She was saying all these things and now she's saying it to an international audience and I could not be more tickled because her information is so solid. And it's life-changing. And mm-hmm. the work that you're doing is life changing. Those people on TikTok who are learning that nothing's wrong with them, that changes everything. It really does. I know. Feeling broken is such a terrible place to be. Yeah, definitely. And so, 
Yeah. If you're listening to this, you're not broken. You're amazing. You are really fantastic. Exactly the way you are without losing a pound, without gaining an ounce of muscle, without shaving, without anything that you think you have to do to be worthy. You don't, you're worthy right now and you Mm -hmm. deserve to be treated well and have amazing pleasure in your life. Mm, Yes. I think it's so funny. You mentioned shaving just because you're, I think you said middle school education gave you a razor razors. For your le- I mean, sex- intended for your legs and armpits, but still like how fucking normalizing is that to like society being like, here you go. You hit puberty, start cleaning yourself up for, for prospective partners. Okay. And did the guys get razors then? Did- I don't think so. They might mm. have, but I don't think so. Wow. What sort of messages are they giving to you as a middle schooler there? Right. Mm. Lovely. Yeah, One day we're Catholic school also. Oh, like. Yes. Yes. I equally went to Catholic school and this is becoming a point on all of my talks now with people about how a lot of us went through this very abstinence only education and how, you know what, almost, I want to say this has pushed me harder to talk about these things. Oh, Catholics are the biggest fucking freaks out there. Catholics yes. have been like we are all so repressed yes. and so freaky as a result. Yeah, because now we're like, well, I got to yell about this. I didn't get right. to then, so I'm gonna now. <laughs> exactly. Okay. One of the things I like to ask all of my guests on the show yes. is, what is one thing? And I know we talked about a lot of different things in this podcast, but what is one thing that you want to normalize? I kind of present this as, you know, the Yahoo Answers question that you were Googling at midnight wondering, am I okay? I want to normalize that squirting is not an accomplishment. Ooh, I actually have someone coming on to talk about squirting. So tell me. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Squirting is something that everyone can do, but not everyone will do. Mm. Some people will squirt no matter what you do, and some people will not squirt no matter what you do. Mm. And squirting is not even always correlated with orgasm. Mm-hmm. Um, one of I'm non-monogamous, and one of my partner's lovers is like a squirt factory. Like mm. she sneezes and squirts. She, you tickle her, she squirts. You know, you say her name in a certain tone, she squirts. Like mm. it's not this idea that there's like this special move that you do and, and, and that if you can get your partner to squirt, then they're, you're going to be the best Mm -hmm. lover ever. And like, I just, that feels so performative Mm -hmm. and so ego driven. And like, I made my partner squirt and it's just one more thing for people who don't squirt to feel bad about. Uh, Yes. So I really try to normalize, like if you're a squirter, cool, lay down a towel I know a lot of people who squirt who hate that they squirt because they're like, it's fucking messy. I can't just have car sex. Mm -hmm. Like I have to lay down a tarp and it's really inconvenient and it's frustrating. And I'm like, I get that. I've had people come to me and be like, how do I squirt less? And I'm like, (laughs) you can't just lay down a towel. But I've had more people come to me and be like, oh, my, my partner wants me to squirt. They want to, you know, they saw this video online and they think that they, they want me to be a squirter because, you know, it feeds their ego. And I'm just like, fine if you squirt cool if you don't cool exactly you like nipple play cool if you don't cool like it's just beauty and the diversity of everybody there is not one type of way to do these things exactly yes I think that is so important squirting is not the end game it's not the end game and honestly everyone I know who has like how to squirt classes, who's an educator, like it's a class that they're selling. They're trying to make money. And I have kind of an issue with making people feel broken to sell them things. Mm. 
So Definitely. it's why, like, I'm not a fan of yoni eggs. Like, oh, you need to be tighter. You need to have, you know, control over your pelvic floor. You need to mm. cleanse the energy of your exes out of your pussy. Like, I'm sorry. I'm a witch. I believe in magic. I don't believe that I need to put the crystal inside of me mm. to have it work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, you know, after having birth, getting corrective surgery. I, I know. I know. I know. So many and, ways that we make people feel bad about their bodies so we can sell them things. And I'm exactly. just like, I'm not here for that. I know. And I love that you're not here for that. It's <laughs> so beautiful and so wonderful to have more people like you in the world. And one other question I wanted to ask, um, I had a couple of people when I asked, oh, I'm interviewing Ashley Manto. What would you like me to ask? They said they get paranoid when they smoke weed. And just wondered if you had any advice for someone who wants to smoke weed, but really honestly struggles with the paranoia. So I have a lot of really deep empathy for that because last summer out of nowhere, weed started giving me panic attacks. Mm. And as someone who used to pop a 50 milligram edible before getting on a plane, like that was a real fucking upending of my whole life and norms and everything. Like I'm the heterosexual for Christ's sake. What do you mean? I can't, that weed makes me anxious. Ah! So here's what I would tell you. Hmm. THC is typically the thing that makes you anxious. THC is something that has what's called a biphasic effect. It has opposite effects at high and low doses. And the, the threshold for what it's considered a high dose is entirely subjective to your body. So start with the tiniest most minuscule amount. If you're doing edibles, a milligram, two milligrams of THC. Mm. If you're smoking, do a ratioed strain, which means it has like one-to-one CBD to THC or Mm -hmm. five to two more CBD than THC or, you know, THC or uh, excuse me, a strain that has like less than 10% or even less than 5% THC. They exist. If you're like, I want to try this cannabis thing and I want to get like the different cannabinoids besides just CBD. Hemp flower is a thing to be considered hemp. Hemp is a legal designation. It has to have less than 0.3% THC. That Mm. is not going to get you high or paranoid. I promise. Mm -hmm. So start with hemp flower just to get yourself used to the experience of smoking and, Mm -hmm. and the way that cannabinoids interact with your body and it will have 0.3. So the THC and CBD actually work really well together. So I'd like to have a little tiny bit, but these like 25, 30% THC strains, you don't need them. Yeah. Read the label. I know. And, and just do like the tiniest, tiniest bit, if you will. Yes. I know. I have a, a close friend who went to go get edibles for the first time and she got these 10 milligram edibles, oh, doesn't smoke at all. And she's like, I am so paranoid. I couldn't do it. I can't do weed. And I'm like, no, these are strong edibles. Like Mm -hmm. for your first time, let's dampen this down a lot. Nothing is wrong with you. 10 milligrams is way too much for a beginner. Five milligrams is often way too much for a beginner. Exactly. So two, two and a half milligrams is a solid place to start. Also, and this is something I wish I'd known when I first started in the cannabis industry, there are these pills that are like anti-high pills. They're called undo, undo with two O's. They sell them online. They're uh, made with a compound called olive tall that binds Mm -hmm. more strongly to the CB receptors than THC does. So it kind of boots them out of the receptors. It will bring you down within 15 to 30 minutes. Whoa. Yeah. That is the thing to have on hand. Actually, that's a game changer because anytime you take an edible, it is a, I am locked in for this ride 
And that I think raises the paranoia because now you know oh, yeah, I can't you're stuck get out of for it. six hours. Yeah. Wow. That's huge. That's a big piece of advice that I hope people take from this, that there is a way to get out of it if this starts to happen. Yep. There's an out. There's an off switch, um, which like, I think every dispensary should sell them. I think every festival should have them available. Every, you know, event that is a consumption event, which, you know, who knows if that's going to be a thing post COVID, but Mm -hmm. certainly was pre COVID where like there were dab stations and, and you could go and and hit it. And this is a very California thing where you can there's lines of people and they're like, they're, they're using little alcohol wipes between each person and it's just going down, which when you think about it, it's a little gross, but, uh-huh. <laughs> but yeah, like dabbing, 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 dabbing joints being passed everywhere. Just people getting like blazed out of their minds and inevitably someone would overconsume. Mm. And so rather than just, you know, giving them water and giving them time, which is, are both helpful if you have nothing else to offer and, you know, mm-hmm. quiet place to rest, having a pill that you can take that, you know, it's like when I'm having a panic attack and I take Xanax, Mm -hmm. I imagine myself like Mrs. Doubtfire in the movie going, help is on the way, dear. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think that would unlock a lot for people who want to start practicing or trying these, but are equally scared that it might get them to a place. So I'm really happy that you had that information to share with everybody. That's great. I'm here to help, you know. (laughs) Yeah. Well, this has been really lovely. It was so great to chat with you and you are such a source of knowledge. Where can people find you at? Great question. So you can find me on my website, canisexual.com, on Instagram at canisexual, on TikTok at intimacy muse, because TikTok does not like cannabis at all. It doesn't like sex either, but it likes cannabis less. Really? Uh, Yeah. Oh yeah. I've had so many friends who have had their shit banned and deleted and- yeah. What? Oh my God. TikTok is like one of the most highly censored apps out there. I, I've i been staying off of it for my mental health. I've never gone on it. I didn't know that they're banned. Yeah, it's, it's so fucking addictive. But yeah, they are very anti-sex content. I, I wore a low cut shirt and I said pussy like two times on a, a live on that site and on that app and they banned me for a week. What? Yeah. I've had multiple friends who are sex educators have their accounts deleted. And so, I mean, also on Instagram, yes, Twitter's I find the most permissive of all the apps. They, they, you can post fucking anything on Twitter and they don't care except hate speech, which I think that's the thing. If they're going to come down on anything, that's yes. the one they should come down on. But like, uh, yeah, they're Twitter's very permissive, but, but TikTok is by far the worst. Like you have to, people say like schmecks instead of sex. So that, <gasps> like the auditory algorithm doesn't pick it up and censor it. Like it's crazy over there. I mean, this is a whole topic, but I just don't understand why we're trying to stop sex education. So it's an interesting question. I won't get into it now because I know we're I running know. out of time, but um, Sunny Megatron and Ken Melvoinberg, who are, who are two of my colleagues uh, who are sex educators, have a lot of episodes on their podcast, American Sex, about social media censorship. And the reason is because of laws that the legislature, the, the federal legislature has passed that are in theory, supposed to stop sex trafficking, but are actually an excuse to censor any kind of sexuality professional. Yes. And their podcast is called again? American Sex. Okay, great. That will be a good resource to go. Lovely. Is there anywhere else you needed to plug? I know we went off on a mini tangent about that. Totally went off. It's okay. Problematic. Um, ADHD brain. My book is called The CBD Solution Sex. My Mm -hmm. podcast is called Elevated Intimacy. And I also have online courses uh, at elevatedintimacy.com. And I have a virtual 
sex magic intensive Ooh. called activating your cosmic pussy. Yes. It is for people with vulvas who wouldn't mind being part of something that's called a sisterhood. Mm-hmm. It's a really powerful six week course where you learn how to feel empowered in your body, to love your pussy, to honor your magic and your divinity create rituals. And I'm going to be running one starting again in late May. So it is open now. If you visit mycosmicpussy.com, there are only 10 spots available, but I highly recommend it. The the last group is so close and so supportive of one another, and I'm building it as a community. So each new class that takes it gets to join the existing community. Amazing. I love that. That is so great. Thank (laughs) you so much for coming on the show. This has been really wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a blast. If you want to join the conversation about dethroning squirting as the performative act that it often is pushed upon us, then join us on Instagram at Modern Anarchy Podcast, where we open up a dialogue about all of these topics. Otherwise, see you next week. And a special thanks to one of my favorite artists, Your Smith, for the intro and outro song to this show. <laughs>